You're listening to Fidem Catholica, the Sunday homilies of Father John Gazzaldo, pastor at St. Luke Catholic Church, Temple, Texas. Today's homily is from Sunday, March 5th, 2023, titled, Compare and Contrast. When new students show up at school in the fall, it's kind of a tradition for teachers make them sit down and kind of see where they're at on their writing, ask them to write an essay titled, What I Did on My Summer Vacation. But in fourth grade, uh, Sister Harriet, she was a little bit more advanced. She would make us read stories, and then we had to write an essay called Compare and Contrast. Remember those? I wasn't very good at those things, but... To write a paper on a comparing, contrasting two stories, you had to know the stories to tell the stories. You had to know them well to be able to compare and contrast them. I find myself lately doing that a lot with various stories and even stories I heard as a child. You know, and for you adults, I would take a second look at some of those old nursery rhymes and old children's stories. They're filled with philosophy and theology. Stories like The Pied Piper. That is a children's story, but it is not a fun story. It's a story about taking your children. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, that I guess it's a children's story of Hansel and Gretel. It is a powerful story of abandoning children, of weak fathers. And in my head, I did a little compare and contrast of Hansel and Gretel and Adam and Eve and do those Stories compare and contrast, they do. One of the things they have is weak men. But in Hansel and Gretel, Gretel is the hero and Eve is not. There's an enemy, the devil and the witch. It's all in there. But with your indulgence, when I was a teenager, one of the big movies that came out in 1985 was Top Gun. I liked it. 30-some-odd years later, I guess they made another one, right? Top Gun 2. I like that one, too. But it's easy to compare and contrast those. The first one is about a cocky young fighter pilot who gets humbled by the death of his friend. And 35 years later, he shows up again at Top Gun and humbles a bunch of cocky young fighter pilots again. There's much to compare and contrast. Today, in every Lent, we read the story of the Transfiguration. And for those of you who are devoted to the Rosary, you know we, we meditate that on at least once a week on Thursdays. We meditate on Jesus going up the mountain with his little quad group of Peter, James, and John and the experience they had up there. But there's so many whys around that that need to be answered. So many whys around that, W-H-Y, whys around that, that give us an insight as Christians living thousands of years after why Jesus may have done that. I've been on Mount Tabor. I didn't have to climb it. I drove up in a vehicle. But I can only imagine what it was like to walk up that thing. And I can imagine Jesus telling these Peter, James, and John, hey, I need you to come with me. And them climbing up this mountain, which is no little mountain, thinking, why us? 
Why is he torturing us? But as we just heard, something happened on that mountain that's full of theology. It's called a theophany. Peter, James, and John have a taste of heaven. They might even think they're seeing ghosts or people they thought ascended to heaven. They see Jesus like he never was. You see a glimpse of his divinity. He is transfigured, whatever that word means. His clothes become dazzling white. His face changes. They see his divinity in his humanity. But it doesn't stop there. He's sitting over there talking to two people, heroes of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. They're seeing this with their own eyes. But it gets better yet. They're suddenly covered with a cloud that is the Holy Spirit, and they hear what very few people in history have ever heard, the voice of the Father. This is my son. Listen to him. Wow doesn't, doesn't do justice to that experience. Amazing doesn't do justice. All that does justice is falling flat on our faces like they did, asking for mercy and forgiveness. And why are we privileged to this? They had a taste of heaven. But I think also, why did Jesus do this just a few days out from his passion, death, and resurrection? Well, I think they're meant to go together. I think they're, they're, they're meant to go together. They work for each other. They comment on each other. Even in this church, if you walk in that front door and look up, there's an image of the risen Jesus. Walk 20 feet, and there's an image of Jesus suffering. Why do we do that? Why do we jar you like that? Well, they both are important, and they demand a compare and contrasting, because that tension in between them is the good news of Jesus Christ. The tension in between them is love, sacrifice, Eucharist. That's why this is placed here. So let's try it. Let's do a little compare and contrasting of what they saw on Mount Tabor, the transfiguration, and what John saw on the cross. We call that event the transfiguration. But on the cross, he wasn't transfigured. He was disfigured. He was disfigured. How did he go from a divine face to a bloody face? Tells us a lot about our God and that sweat and blood are not for nothing. What happened to Jesus' face and body on Mount Tabor was extraordinary. But I think they were supposed to remember what that looked like because in a few days on the cross, Jesus looks like just an ordinary criminal. And it was ordinary for them. Evidently in Jerusalem about once a week, there'd be some crucifixion you can walk by and see. That sounds strange to us, I know. I went to college with a, a guy. He was from the United Arab Emirates in the Middle East. And he said, every Saturday you could go downtown and watch the hangings. Just part of their culture to see any ordinary criminal. But they got to see his extraordinary face. But the fathers of the church seem to think that Jesus did this to Peter, James, and John. Let them see his prayer life to encourage them because he knows that they would struggle with courage 
to encourage them because they're seeing Jesus at his best and they're about to see him at his worst. And it only worked for one. I believe that John the Apostle who saw Jesus transfigured kept in his mind, I know what he really looks like. I know who he really is. And he followed him to the cross and he gave that cross meaning. I know who you really are. I know what you really look like. And I know what you're really meant for. Because what they had on in the transfiguration on Mount Tabor was a privileged moment. Not everybody got to see Jesus like that. Only three of his disciples. You might think, well, he should have done this in front of everybody. Well, he knew what he was doing. It was a privileged event for Peter, James, and John. Now, in our common lingo, I think we think the opposite of privilege is disadvantaged. We hear about privileged people, people who have privilege. I don't think that works here. I think the opposite of privileged is duty. Some people have a privilege, and then we have a duty. We have all been baptized. That's a privilege. We all receive the sacraments. That's a privilege. But spreading the gospel is a duty. They had an encounter with the living God. They had a taste of heaven. That's a privilege. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he told them, now it's your duty to tell people about what you saw. Both of them are good. You know, sometimes those of you who have children, I hear babies here today, you might think of changing your baby's diapers as a duty. Maybe at first we even call it duty. But... But that turns into a privilege. It'd be a bonding with your child. You're bonding with your child. And it's both a privilege and a duty. And I say this, I say this to all of you. I would tell your kids, you know, I changed your diapers and you will change mine. And that's okay. And I, I say that also, I'm very mindful of, there's Scandinavian countries, and I think even in Canada now, where they're, Encouraging elderly people just to go ahead and take their lives. They don't want to burden their children. You go right ahead and burden your children. So, you know, even with little kids, you know, little kids in here, little kids will embarrass you, right? But when they become teenagers, you will embarrass them. <laughs> and that's okay. That is now a duty goes to a privilege. I think we may have to tell both of these stories. We have to compare and contrast them. And I think the stories of our own conversions, our own life, this is one of the things I think Protestants do very well. They tell their testimony. They tell the world about when they were living in sin, when they have an encounter with Christ, they tell that story, and then they tell about their new life, and they compare and contrast them. What has Christ done in my life and our lives? And they have to tell those stories. They have to know those stories and just leave them behind. Because that's part of the narrative. I think as Catholics and Christians, sometimes even when it comes to the scriptures, we'll just read the New Testament. Oh, that's the Old Testament. You don't believe. Well, every time I quote the Old Testament, someone, well, that's the Old Testament. No, those stories are important. Christ is in those stories. What's hidden in the Old is revealed in the New if you've never read the Bible, have a running knowledge of the New Testament. 
that's too much for you, have a running knowledge of the Gospels. But then dive into the Old Testament with Christian eyes. Read those stories. They will light up because Christ gives meaning to those stories. I once asked a, a Jewish rabbi, we were, we're looking through Exodus and why, you know, Exodus and the Passover, you, know, you have to kill the lamb and put the blood on the posts. But it said it has to be male. I asked this Jewish rabbi, why does the goat have to be male? And they said, we don't know. You know. We know who the bridegroom is. We know when Jesus says, I am the bridegroom. Now we know we look at those things with Christian eyes. But we have to tell both of those stories. Compare and contrast them. And know that the tension between them is salvation. Because people will look at us now and wonder, hopefully, when they see our joy, our hope, our peace, and our strength. And now, not to be morbid. I'm not trying to be morbid, but I see little ones here. All of us in here are going to die. Not trying to be morbid. Actually, we kind of meditate on that at Ash Wednesday. And I know I kind of say this every Ash Wednesday, but when you come forward on Ash Wednesday and we smear those ashes on your forehead as you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. That's just a fancy theological way of saying you're gonna die. That's what you're saying. <laughs> but for us, it not be something that we fear, but we live for that day. And hopefully, hopefully, when someone comes up to give a, a eulogy about you or me, they won't tell the whole world what a great Dallas Cowboy fan you were and what a great barbecuer and how much beer you could drink. I've been to funerals like that. But hopefully they'll be able to tell your story and the story of Christ. And hopefully, just hopefully, it'll be compared, but mostly, not mostly contrasted, but mostly comparing. Tell your story and the story of Christ, and hopefully it can be the same story. You've been listening to Fidem Catholica, the Sunday homilies of Father John Gazzaldo, pastor at St. Luke Catholic Church, Temple, Texas. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can be made aware when future episodes drop.